Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Cutback Podcast, where we keep our head on a swivel to bring you our living room commentary on the latest and greatest from the world of sports and the business that surrounds it. I'm Ian Burley. I'm Cullen Munns, and we're off and running. Ian, are we ready to provide some election day coverage for everybody, all of the <laughs> listeners today? Oh man, I don't know if I don't know if that's the coverage that the people want is us talking I, about the election. I feel like people tune into this podcast for our political musings and uh, what, how we <laughs> feel about uh, the two lovely candidates better <laughs> face it squaring off tonight. I think they probably do, and you know what else? I think they probably tune in to uh, or tune in for, which is where I want to start, uh, just so that we can get it out of the way. Uh, but let's talk about just another clusterfuck of a day, and that was this past Saturday as our oh, beloved Wolverines. We have to start with this. <laughs> I just want to get it out of the way. I don't want to. I just want to get it out of the way. I really don't want to relive this. Oh man! I mean, so can can we agree that it probably the worst loss in Harbaugh's coaching tenure at the university? Agree or disagree? I, so okay, I, I'm gonna you you've opened the wound. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't think that until it was brought up to me after, after the fact. So the Sunday morning I received a call from an old roommate and just catching up. And obviously, uh, the atrocities that were Saturday came up in conversation as we were two Michigan men. Um, and he made that statement and, uh, I tended to stay off social media, which is where I get most of my news anyway. Uh, so I didn't really see this until then. But the, when he brought it up, I sat and kind of pondered on it for a while, and I'm ready. I'm, I think you, you now have me ready to commit. Uh, yes, in the entire Harbaugh tenure, yes, this is the worst loss, and yes, college football is over for me this year. <laughs> Just wrap it up. No, I completely agree. I uh, was quickly reminded how irrationally um, but truthfully passionate I am about Michigan football for – either good or bad reasons because as that game started to just spiral out of control where it it reached a point where it was like even if we somehow pulled out and won people were gonna feel fucking terrible about the game and uh then we didn't even when was that point for you at what point did you did you hit the even if we win i still feel terrible point because for me it was earlier than normal it was as soon as michigan state scored first basically Oh, okay. Mine wasn't that early. I was ready to sign sign my name to that at at fourteen seven. That's when I was ready to to sign over that this is gonna get we're gonna mess around and let this be close. I was on the this is gonna be close train at that point. At halftime, palms got a little sweaty, you know, mom's spaghetti. Uh, but it it really I. Just I, I don't know I don't even have words anymore. Uh, I guess my my question to you though is how, how warm is the seat getting? That's a good question. And what I see a lot of people talking about is his contract. This is Jim Harbaugh, head coach that we're talking about. His contract is up at the end of the year. Um, I would say his seat is probably at least warmer than it's ever been. You know, on the scale of his relative warmness. Um, how legitimately warm it is, I don't know. I, I, I don't know where Ward Manuel and him sit in terms of a relationship, but a game like this just makes you feel like Michigan has kind of plateaued under Harbaugh and is starting to get worse. I mean, the whole Michigan State debacle of being 3-3 three and three against Michigan State in six years when really in all six of those years you've arguably had 
like a significantly better team on paper. Um, I would argue only in one of the six years, you could argue it's close. Which was probably what his first, his first year? year. Yeah. His first year. And you lose close. on a fucking fluke, crazy play that everybody sees every year on fucking every sports Twitter account that posts fumble with the snap. Yeah, we get it. Cool. So, Perfect. I don't want to relive. I don't. That's two things I don't want to relive. <laughs> that you just just press on bruises. But but you make the point even better. Of okay, so there was maybe one year that it, it was close in terms of athletes on paper. Michigan should have actually won that game. Played okay. Crazy shit happens in football games. You, you take you take your uh, crazy wins and you take your crazy losses. But this was just a game where you're coming off a big win. Sparty's coming off a tough loss you're they're coming off a program of turmoil they switch head coaches in the offseason they had a bunch of players drop into the transfer portal in like the middle of the season um their coaching staff is brand new hasn't had the time to like get anything installed so on and so forth and they come into the big house and basically dominate the entire game um we refuse to make any adjustments we'd rather have a running back try and throw a touchdown pass than a quarterback and uh, he just couldn't really get it done. Looked completely inept and completely un- unprepared and played with zero juice. I don't know how you play a football game with no juice, but we continually do it. Let's a rivalry we, game. A rivalry game. We love to do it against Michigan State. We absolutely love to do it, and they take full advantage. I mean, they have all of a sudden won like, well, D'Antonio won 8 out of 10, so now they've won like 9 out of 11 or something but, like that. But my thing is how you can't, Go on and and like I get it. We call them little brother, but if you're gonna call them little brother, you need to make them the little brother. Yeah, I mean, like I that, think that, that whole thing is stupid, but well, I, I don't. I think I think it's wave your dick around, awesome. But in order to do if that, you do you, right, exactly. But you can't. Which Har, let's cause face pain. Harbaugh is very much a wave your dick around kind of coach. Like he doesn't be, care. Doesn't, uh, he still is. He uh, still is. He just seems doesn't to be back little, it up. Seems to be losing a little juice on the sideline. Did you see well, the coaching staff? Did you there, see well, any there was no moment juice. in? Yeah, no, did he, you see he never any got moment fired in the up. game? He never. There were the sharpies around his neck weren't flying at any point. Like nobody acted right. like anything was wrong the entire fucking game. <laughs> nobody acted well, like anything was wrong. But but okay, and I I asked you this over text Saturday, maybe Sunday when I was coming down from the stupor I was in Saturday night, but um. Did how Michigan would it be? And, and I, I, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I'm ready to commit to this. Uh, how Michigan would it be? They run the table literally through this train wreck of a schedule they have. I mean, they, let's call it they have the toughest schedule in the Big Ten, it's not close. Um, they run through this train, this, this hellacious schedule all the way to Ohio and then just get their ever living asses kicked in Ohio. Yeah, I mean, it, it's happened. This same thing has happened on multiple other occasions, especially under Har- Harbaugh, where you lose a game early. Notre Dame uh, two years ago. Now, a little bit of a different situation there. But but yeah, I mean, maybe it's almost our naivete that we have so much like <laughs> weird belief and like almost disbelief in the team that we're like, yeah, I mean, they'll probably now go off and blow everybody out for the next uh, five games and then go lose by 30 in columbus right and, and that's to me what is it and and i i don't like to usually cross compare sports but it's it's 
that old adage that they say about an NBA basketball team or a major league baseball team where they're quote unquote built for the regular season. That's, that's which that saying comes from like where you're, you on average, you're built to win just any old ho-hum game. But when it's nut cutting time in the playoffs, when it, the games that matter, which I'm comparing these rivalry games to that, that nut cutting time playoffs, like when it really matters, the Oakland A's being the example of modern day baseball and the Houston Rockets being the modern day example of basketball, um, do great in the regular season, constantly in the playoffs. But when it becomes that nut cutting time against playoff teams, playoff contenders, you fall short every single year. And that's what is that's what Jim Harbaugh is has become is He's on average, he'll win a game, but when it's amp up time, you need the juice, you need to win a, a, in a, a very big game, we fall flat. Well, and I'll even take it a step further where as I sit back and think about it, um, Harbaugh's tenure has been filled of teams who consistently kind of play rather shitty until their first loss. Like they're almost like, riding high thinking that they can just show up they almost lose to teams like army and middle tennessee state and they just have these kind of ugly ass little wins and then they go play wisconsin last year and get the the brakes beat off of them uh they show up to a rivalry game against a michigan state team that they think they're going to walk all over and they get beat and once the team has that first loss then they then they get mad like they get mad too late because they shouldn't even have allowed a lot of loss in the first place then they run off a bunch of wins we saw it even last year after they lost to wisconsin got absolutely demolished embarrassed, at wisconsin. embarrassed, embarrassed. and then played then played great football their own even mothers though, were calling them and tell them don't come home it was ugly i was in madison wisconsin in camp randall for that game and was not a fun experience um but yeah, Camp Randall's been... cool. Camp Randall's cool. Take take Fa- the results aside. Camp Randall's mm, cool. The the fans there were a little uh, unnecessarily unruly, like uh, cheering Dylan McCaffrey, like getting knocked the fuck out. I mean, there was have some. You, well, I would cheer for Dylan McCaffrey to get knocked out. There were some but things going on there. Have that we were have we control, have but... you been to the Horseshoe in Columbus? They're a rowdy bunch. Yeah, I really but... like them. Yeah, I've been on on uh, three times now, actually, um, and survived all of them just barely. But the, the point being just that, like, yeah, we do sit here and fully expect Michigan to now be all pissed off, show up, try and show everybody that this was a fluke, run off games against tough teams. Indiana is going to be a tough-ass team on the road. Then you got Wisconsin, if they can figure out their COVID situation. You got Penn State on the schedule still. You got uh, a bunch of other good teams. Regardless, um, and then probably go get stomped by Ohio State. Yeah. So, and if they I, don't I, do that, if they don't do that, then Harbaugh surprised. is like, and and that's like it probably. Like you can't yeah. you can't lose this week. You can't lose this week. You can't. Uh, you probably uh, can't lose another game. In fact, no, I, I agree. You can't. Um, I think we would be remiss if we, as much trash as we talk uh, on this this episode, this show, especially. Uh, we would be remiss if we didn't ask you. I'm going to ask you this question, and uh, I would like to ask the people as well if they have um, staunch opinions one way or the other at, at me on Twitter. Uh, but is Texas back, folks? Uh, I'm not sure if you you heard. 
Uh, they you called beat, it. They did beat. They did beat the Oklahoma State Cowboys this week. So are they back? No, no, they're not <laughs> back. Um, and, I think it just proves our theory and your. You called it off the bat. It just proves that the the Big Twelve is going to cannibalize themselves. It showed that Oklahoma State isn't that good of a team. None of the teams are that good. I mean, there's teams that are good teams, and I mean, shit, some of them might beat Michigan after what we saw last week, but they're none of those teams are back. But but I and and I I know I'm doing this tongue in cheek because I only half brought this brought Texas up not to make fun of them, but I'm going to. Um, I think Texas is literally Michigan South. Like that's literally what they are. Like if you look at the two programs side by side, the last decade has been uncannily similar on what they've done. You've had a recruiting class that you you should have that has underperformed year in year out. Uh, you've been overshadowed by a better team on in your conference year in year out, being Ohio in the Big Ten and Oklahoma in the Big Twelve. Um, and you just can't seem – you always have that one game where you lose to somebody you shouldn't. Uh, Iowa State, usually the example for Texas. Iowa or Michigan State, usually the example for Michigan. I, I mean, to me – and then you have a coach. Um, granted, Tom, I'm not ready to put Tom Herman on Jim Harbaugh's level, nor nor should he be even close. Um, but you have a coach that has come in very nationally known. Um and is seemingly can't perform. The only difference being Tom Herman performs poorly against bad teams, Jim, and does well seemingly against good teams. Uh, and Harbaugh's the other side. Uh, we tend to beat the brakes off of teams we shouldn't, or teams we should, and then we go in in a big game and we look like dog doo doo. Yeah, there's there's probably been. I mean, there's been a handful of games where we've looked good against good teams and won. Um, I think some of those first couple years of Harbaugh's tenure, we were great at that. I think about like a Wisconsin game at home. We've always played Notre Dame well. That's you're talking the Jordan Lewis interception game. Yep, Jordan Lewis interception game, fourteen to seven. You've ha- you've had some Penn State victories, and uh, outside of the year Saquon became you know a top NFL draft pick, we've at the very least been in close games with top 10 ranked Penn state, then the Ohio game, you just get fucked. But I, I still think Texas is below that because you got to remember they've had multiple coaches within Harbaugh's era. The, the Michigan consistently consistently let's go before the Harbaugh era. They had well, Mac Brown while we were shuffling Rich Rod, Brady. Yeah. We, I mean, so let's, but if we if can already go the, back six years, six years, I think is enough of a like historical span for college six, football. Let's go back 10. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is like that stuff is no longer relevant to what the program is today. Like five to six years, I think, is at least still relevant to what's making the program what they are today. I would like the last 10 years of our record against Ohio not to count. Well, yeah, but because that's the thing. Then all of a sudden we got to go back. Well, 30 years ago, Michigan won a national championship. So that's why we still get to be like one of these programs it's like not really the only thing the only reason we're kind of back to being thought of like that is because we're winning nine ten games a year again and we've been in the top five and we've won a couple games we've been close in a couple games it's like nobody gives a fuck about any of that stuff that's fair that's fair 
Let's um, move on. You're making me sad. Yeah, yeah last. Uh, yeah, I got nothing sad. else. I got nothing else on that one actually. So let's get into the official work topics. We're we're staying in football for the beginning, but we're going out to the West Coast. Oh, you also got to welcome back to Pac-12. We can't move on from college football without welcoming back to Pac-12. They do Go play out. this week. Uh, I'm prepared to be basically uh, kind of not super impressed by Oregon. Not expecting Ooh. much. Just not. Uh, I'm. Uh, you're not prepared for a Pac-12 championship. No, I guess I don't know enough about the other Pac-12 teams, but I mean, Oregon is in a similar situation that Michigan is, replacing their entire offensive line, pretty much. Um, that's a scary. Yeah, that's scary. I'll give you that. That part it's got me nervous. You're replacing maybe an NFL Rookie of the Year quarterback. You've got, I think, two guys on defense who opted out. So it's like you're calling him still, Rookie of the Year already. Damn. I mean, I think he has made as good of a case as anybody else. If he could win, if they could win a few more games, that would help. But statistically and eye test wise, people, I don't know why people ever doubted him, including people that we know that are Ducks fans and Chargers fans. Uh, and Jack is still listening. Dead at you, Crispy McCrispy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't understand that one. But no, yeah, I mean, so I, I, I think Arizona State. And Utah are probably the favorites from my very little preseason knowledge of the Pac-12. Uh, dang. All right. Well, okay. Uh, I mean, I, I think the clear clear favorite is uh, the Ducks, even, even with uh, – yes, the offensive line has me concerned. However, um, I do believe in my heart of hearts Mario Cristobal is a offensive line – there's a lot of flaws to Mario Cristobal, and I'm not sitting here – as somebody who worked for him, I'm not sitting here saying he's perfect by any stretch because – who is really, um, but that man knows offensive line play and tends to get more out of an offensive line than uh, your standard average bear. So uh, I, I I think I got the I think the Ducks are going to be pretty formidable. Uh, formidable beat Clemson. Formidable, no, uh, but formidable. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. We will. Uh, time will tell here. They who do they open up with this week? Stanford. Stanford probably should be a blowout. I mean, I think Stanford has sucked ever since Chris McCaffrey left. Uh, yeah, haven't been haven't been too relevant. Since I then. do think they beat the Ducks one time since then, if I recall, while uh, we were at school. But you know, I we try not some, to recall. We had some interesting years. Okay, let's get into UCLA though, and oh, uh, another another former duck, duck. former duck Chip Chip Kelly. So an article comes out in sports business journal about a week and a half ago. Now that kind of outlines what a lot of people in the sports and college athletic department world, uh, kind of already knew is that the UCLA athletic department is in complete disarray. And part of this disarray is seemingly being fueled by one, uh, football head coach, Chip Kelly. So a few numbers to run for you here. The athletic department of UCLA reports that in 2019, so a normal normal year pre-coronavirus, uh, they lost $18.9 million as a department. So here's another ding, ding, ding for people who, uh, hey, this is a power five, seemingly top tier athletic department, and they lost $19 million in 2019. So let's let's keep that in pay the players your, yeah let's keep that in the back of your mind for some context the attendance at the rose bowl which is where ucla plays their home games uh rose bowl oh. has a capacity of ninety-one thousand. average attendance in 2019 was forty-four thousand. Forty-four thousand. 
So less so than less than stadium. 50. I would have told you it was less than that. That's still high. And that's got to be the David Roth School of Counting where they like <laughs> they, they fudge the numbers a little bit just to make it look look like people are there. I like that. Um, ticket revenue is down $7 million over the past five years. Uh, football revenue, or excuse me, the football budget, though, on the other, other hand, under Chip Kelly's tenure has uh, increased $8 million uh, since he took hold of the program. And I can't do the math quickly in my head, um, but the eight million, while it may seem small, is actually a pretty large percentage. So in 2017, when uh, Coach Mora left UCLA, the football budget was 27 million dollars. It's up to about 35 and a half million dollars now. So that eight million is what almost you know it's it's almost uh, more than a quarter between yeah, a quarter not, and a third. Yeah, there <laughs> between you go. a quarter and a third. That's so, the Michigan difference right there. Did that de- math quick? <laughs> decent chunk, and it seems to be primarily on food. A lot of food here. Uh, have you? Have you? Okay, I want to dive into this because I, I kind of dove into what the actual food they're getting was. Uh, I don't know if you've got it in front of you to list oh, off. Oh, yeah. I've, I've got some numbers <laughs> for the people here. Um, so in 2018, Chip Kelly's first season, the football program spent $2.5 million on non-travel meals. Um, so that's everyday meals for the players and staff. That number jumped up to $5.4 million in 2019. And here's a few highlights here. Um, That includes catering hundreds of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at a cost of $4.95 a pop. Stop, 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 (laughs) stop, stop. What? Okay. When you're making a sandwich at home, okay, like I work in food and bev. Now, I get it. Um, I, I, and I've worked in football for, if you count the legends, six seasons. Okay. In college football, I will be, I would be lying to all the people to our hundreds of thousands of listeners. I would be lying to every, each and every one of you. If I said a peanut butter and jelly sandwich was not involved with every single team that I worked for, for six years, every one of them, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich was a staple of travel, a staple, every plane we got on. PB&Js were there. Every uh, training table you went to, peanut butter and jellies were available. You could most of them. You made your own. Like, but let's really parse this out. Two pieces of bread, some Jif peanut butter. We're going crunchy, and some jelly. You paid five dollars a sandwich. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how many sandwiches you've peanut butter and jelly sandwiches you've seen go through those football buildings? Yeah, that's a a five million dollar bill in and of itself. Yeah, I mean the only explanation for that is they are catering in P B and J sandwiches from the like bougie boutique uh PB and J like little cafes that are popping up are. in places what, like Los that's Angeles. That's exactly what's happening. That's exactly what they're doing. And you know what they should do? Uh which you is what hire a new DFO. Did. <laughs> well, that to begin with, and what Michigan football does, and that's used classic Uncrustables, baby. Those those things are delicious and go like hotcakes and are treated as currency in football buildings. And from uh, somebody who works in food and beverage, I can tell you they run you about a dollar and eight cents a pop. Yeah, so <laughs> that five dollars a pop for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches is unbelievable. The other numbers that I brought in, um, 
Chip Kelly's staff likes to cater all three meals for players and staff throughout the week. So that's breakfast, lunch, and dinner for everybody associated with the team. And then they, then they go a step above and they provide prepared weekend take home meals for players. Um, and all of these meals cost up to $16 per meal per person. So a lot of things going on there, but let's just start with just the the total amount of food that's going to the football team at potentially sixteen bucks per meal per person. Okay, I want to I want to to me the total amount of food is a different story than than the actual what they're serving because I agree the total the to an extent with the total amount of food portion of this. Like as somebody who worked in in for the football staff at Oregon. Like, it was cool that we got the – I got one meal a day, but the players got two, the coaches got two. Like, that to me – like, you need that. I think that's good for for your mental health. And then at the end of the – like, when you get into camp, they provide more meals, which that's a different – let's just call this a normal off-season day. I know know we're – you know, these weekend meals, we're probably getting spun on, you know – it being during camp where they get an extra meal, like those times, that's this is okay. happening during the season, I think. Which even during the season, that's fine. Like, there's been how many times did you finish up a game and they give you a meal of to go meal at the end of the game? Yeah, every time. I, I mean, like, yeah, every time. Like, uh, and I really don't, I don't have any beef with that. Like, that's not the issue I have. It's more the issue of if you and I know I'm probably cutting to the chase here, but like. They're serving pecan crusted redfish, like, and, and all these fancy LA. I know they're in LA, but they're, they're serving LA type meals. Like, we got to draw a line somewhere. Like, yes, I agree with feeding these guys because they're exerting, they need that energy. They're exerting way more than your average human being on board and completely support that. But homeboy doesn't need pecan crusted snapper and and a pig butt to take home with him every night like that's not what we need to to get by you know yeah you bring up a good point about it it is a big like culture builder not only training table um in and of itself because you're able to all kind of like sit in the cafeteria style and while it's catered it's it's kind of like high school lunch like buffet style serving um and and i'm sure these like to-go meals even it is a good part of a program and probably even gets used in recruiting a little bit. Um, but the price seems astronomical. It, it seems like they could find a way to bring that down. I know at Michigan, especially for some of those take home meals, you used a lot of deals with like the local campus eateries. You're getting Mr. Spots, you're getting Pizza House, you're getting all this type of stuff. And, but all your training table was made in house too. Yeah, your training table was uh, University of Michigan Dining Center. You right. know, Same the dining Oregon. halls. Well, I mean, Oregon's—it's uh, a little different. It's not dining hall, but Michigan—it was dining hall service. Oregon, it I. And it was I, delicious, by the way. Oh, I yeah. ate it for. Four and a half years. They took care. Of, they took care of us better at Michigan. Took care of me. I'll speak for myself. They took care of me better at Michigan than they did at Oregon, as far as food. Like they let me eat all the meals at, at Michigan, whereas at Oregon I had a limited number. It's a different. It's a different setup. But at Oregon they have their own private set of chefs that cook for the teams. And it's all the teams, not just football. But yeah. that's it's not the dining. It's not. It's the whole. It's like the athletics teams athletic teams have their own cooks anyway i wanted to kind of 
run something by you and get your thoughts on this. Um, so I was hired at Oregon football the year after Chip Kelly uh, left for San Francisco. Okay. Yep. Um, so I, I got Coach Helfrich, um, which, and, and, and Coach Hoke is the one who hired me from Michigan, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and I traveled with the team. And, and one time we go on the road and we, we had a, we were staying, uh, we were playing Cal on the road. So we're staying in San Francisco, the Bay Area, California. We, in the hotel we were staying at, super nice hotel. Like, I believe it was the Intercontinental, but I can't remember. Don't quote me on that. Nice, nice hotel. Food was outstanding. Like, just they put on the, we got the grand tour. I mean, they had buffet that looked like it was 20 feet long, four lines, dessert table with a chocolate fondue fountain. I'm talking just crazy stuff set up for us. And I, this is my first ever time going on the road with Oregon football. Okay. Got you. So I'm sitting there with, with, um, at the top, he's now the DFO, but, uh, and I'll just leave him nameless. We'll call him Tony, uh, for, for the sake of this story, sitting there with Tony, who, who is a former football player, uh, was an analyst, uh, with the team at the time. And he, he was under the chip staff. He was there with, with chip. And he was talking about like, man, when Chip was here, Chip would always give us the best food. And I'm sitting there like looking at what we have. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like grilled cheese, ham sandwiches. Like I'm just stacking it up like I'm ecstatic as to what we had. And he's sitting there complaining about the food. And he would say like when Chip was here, we would always have the best stuff. And but he said it was always gross because Chip would have to go first. And he never used utensils. He would always pick oh my food God. out of the the chafing dishes with his hand. And oh so he, he was like, it's always like a catch-22. You got the best food. But if you went after Chip, you're getting the, you know, the felt-up groped food uh, in your, that was yours. Um, so I just thought it's kind of a kind of an interesting story. But how much does the food really impact your you as a recruit? One and two, would you ever eat after Chip Kelly uh, in the line uh, if you did play on Chip Kelly's team? <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> to the first question, I don't know. I, I think it probably impacts a little bit. Um, just understanding it, it's just the whole like, um, fuck, what's the word? It, it's just the whole like ambiance of it, of like, oh, this is a top tier program. Like, it's something that is expected to be included in a top tier program um, that you at least have all of those offerings. You're doing training table. You've got nutritionists. Your, your road trips are insane. I mean, traveling on the road with Michigan for four seasons, the amount of just the food and the like schedule of eating was like incomprehensible. Like it, it was ridiculous. Um, so I think that it probably does play a little bit, of an aspect in recruiting just being able to check that box that you do that type of stuff the food itself like are we getting steak or and lasagna are we getting chicken and pasta like probably doesn't fucking matter at that point but just having that as like a service i think makes a big a a big difference in recruiting it's like a need to have but an interesting thing about that is how many guys have you seen uh saw at michigan all the time don't eat at training table. And then you see them walking around with a bag of Wendy's after yep. practice. And that happens like, all the time. You're like, what are we doing here, fellas? What right. are we doing to your they second don't... question? 
yeah, fuck it. I mean, I'm definitely eating the food regardless. <laughs> yeah. And to me, it's What's like. What's your other option? <laughs> well, that's it. And that's what's so funny to me. But I think I, I think we're doing a disservice here, Ian, because we haven't really put it in perspective. Um, so, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you have the numbers in front of you. But I believe when I read the article, UCLA's total food bill uh, from 19 was $4.8 million. Did I read? Is that right? Uh, I got it to 5.4 in 2019. 5.4. 5.4. Yep. Okay. Uh, the other places that I've been, uh, the food bill doesn't crack a million dollars. So, so this is why this is just to put it all in perspective. They're well over five times like the next, next up. And I, I'm going to call Oregon and Michigan kind of next up. Like, I feel like they're in the, they spend a lot on food. Let's call yeah. a spade a spade. I'm not. Well, let uh, me, uh, let me lay it out. Let me lay out a normal away trip for people yeah. for Michigan football. So, because I'm flabbergasted that it was under a million dollars because I put the pounds on at the time to show oh. that we were getting an insane amount of food. So let's even say this is a normal noon game day, right? So you're only having one meal at the hotel before the game. So you take the uh, the old charter buses to the old Wayne Detroit Metro Airport. You go through the little uh, fake TSA on the charter. <laughs> so <laughs> fake, so fake TSA on the uh, on the charter charter plane little like hangar that's kind of by the airport, but not really. As you're getting on the plane, the wonderful Delta staff is smiling at you. There's these huge coolers with probably eight to 10 inch hoagie sandwiches of all types of varieties. You pick a sandwich, you go back to your seat. There's a bag on your seat with like chips, cookies, uh, different like condiments, some fruit, uh, usually two Gatorades on every seat. So that's on the plane. You land, you oh, get to the hotel. I want to stop you there. When you're on the plane, uh, if, you haven't flown charter before and then you fly charter you will have just develop this unseating hatred for ever <laughs> flying flying with the normal people again like, yeah you never want to go back it's a beautiful <laughs> beautiful thing um so you you then get to the hotel and you're just having a team dinner michigan did it plate style with uh like some family style um sides on the uh table so for dinner it was consistent every time no matter what dinner they would bring out a huge plate where you would have on one plate you'd have a pretty sizable piece of a uh, piece of steak a chicken breast and probably the largest slice of lasagna you've ever seen that was on everybody's plate uh, another two Gatorades at every table seat and then big things of like different vegetables, green beans, corn, and then they would bring out ice cream for dessert for everybody. Um, so at this point you've got four Gatorades. You've already had two of the most massive meals in your entire life. Uh, you fall into a food coma, go to sleep. You wake up for breakfast in the morning. Breakfast for football was the most interesting thing I've ever seen. Best time ever. <laughs> it, ever. <laughs> at Michigan, it was interesting. So you would get, again, a plate that would have a piece of chicken, eggs, scrambled eggs. Uh, so you got, you know, every every part of the chicken's lifestyle on one plate there. And, <laughs> and, uh, and then you would have in the big, like, containers on the table, you would have hash browns and spaghetti. So I saw people eating eggs, 
Hold chicken on. and spaghetti at like six in the morning before playing a football game. Spaghetti? Yeah. Spaghetti was always on the table in the morning for breakfast to go with your eggs, chicken, hash browns, and like other fruit and things. This was no. in the Hoke era? Yeah. And this was consistent. Every single away game I ever went to, which was you know, probably like 12, 12. Um, so that's and, But breakfast. this came from a coach who didn't eat on game days either. Yeah, didn't eat. Didn't eat. It's, and, it, and I've taken that from him. Like, it's so hard to eat on game days at all. But yeah, it was tough to eat until after the game, but I would poke around at the uh, at least a little bit of eggs and hash browns and maybe a little bit of chicken if I was feeling real crazy that day. Uh, another two Gatorades. So now you're six Gatorades in and you've you got been... the Gator smears at that point. That uh, well, the, 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 where that sloshing in the stomach Gatorade, like. No, what you got to do is you you pack your duffel bag with basically nothing in it so that you just bring back 10 to 12 Gatorades and you stock the fridge at your house for the next week. I would drink like... And that's how you run up a $5.4 million bill. uh, (laughs) So then you play the game. After the game, right outside the locker room, as you're going to get on the bus, there's always a takeout meal. So sometimes it was Chick-fil-A other like burger, like that type of food, like a, a fried chicken sandwich. Sometimes there'd be two sandwiches in your bag. Um, so you're thinking, oh, okay, like this is our dinner or our after, like our meal basically. Then you get on the plane and they're handing out hamburgers, cheeseburgers, grilled chicken sandwiches. There's another goodie bag and two more Gatorades. It was insanity. I mean, it was literally insanity. So for them to be under a million dollars and then see that UCLA is spending five and a half. Well, and what I are, think what are we doing? I think the big difference is you see Oregon and Michigan have kind of developed the system where they're using their in-house catering for a lot of that. And I bet I'm willing to bet most schools are probably doing that. Like let's just call a spade a spade. Most schools are probably doing that. And I'm willing to bet there's some um, creative accounting. Let's just call it that. Uh, creative accounting that the the catering department, dining department, whatever department you want to call it, isn't necessarily running their tab straight. And I know they're not at Oregon. They're not running their tab straight to Oregon football because they're feeding all the teams so they can divide it just as an athletic department expense. And I would be willing to bet, you know, a lot of uh, other programs do the same thing looking at Michigan. Uh, but then you look at UCLA as somebody who didn't go to UCLA, uh, who didn't work for the team there, I just looking at the tab, the bill, and kind of what's listed in that article, um, you can kind of tell they're not using campus dining. They're they're using more, like you said earlier, those boutique LA restaurants, and 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 they're not sharing with the other teams in the athletic department. Right. Th- those two yeah. things have become very clear. And listen, at the end of the day. You can do this. Like nobody's stopping you from doing this if you are super successful and making a bunch of money. But if you're not super successful and you're not making a bunch of money, which is the case at UCLA, then it's like, what are we doing here? (laughs) Sorry, Chip. Like let's uh, reset expectations and realize that you're not in the NFL and you're not even winning games in the Pac-12. So you can't have five-star dining every single meal for every single person in the program. And, 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 I think it's just funny that it's Chip Kelly and I've heard how disgusting of an eater he is. So <laughs> it's just funny that he's being a disgusting eater with $5.4 million worth of food. Hey, he's just trying to get the program to be a five-star program and he's starting with the food. Yep. With Can't. no fork. Doesn't believe in the fork. 
Um, let's get into the next one here. I, this one is definitely a quick hitter because there wasn't much more on it than I thought there was going to be more. But basically, the Supreme Court recently ruled that an antitrust lawsuit that's being brought against the NFL can continue to be brought as such. Um, apparently, it particularly is regarding the NFL's practice of selling their TV rights, um, specifically looking at like direct TV. So right now the NFL is all national rights. There's no regional sports networks or regional broadcasting rights that are available. It's all a national kind of buy. Is that what leads into this being somewhat of an antitrust thing because it just limits the amount of competition of people who can afford to play at the massive, massive broadcast rights prices that we've talked about? I think that's a lot to do with it, but I also think it's, uh, I guess, somewhat artificially hand-chosen uh, in that the NFL just approaches CBS, Fox, and ESPN every okay. year right. with their with their product. And, it, well, in DirecTV, obviously, but um, so I think that's, that's another piece of it is you have uh, and I don't even, and the, the, the interesting part though, is the, the team, the people that are fighting this, it's not networks. Um, you're, you're seeing, and I don't know who you've, you've got, and I'm sure you, you're going to go into it more, but, um, the teams that are, that are going against it tend to be more like the tech companies. Um, so it's like YouTube is, is, uh, I know is a part of this lawsuit as to trying to get a, their share. Um, and I know they've started YouTube TV. I use YouTube TV. It's 10 out of 10 would recommend. Um, but I know YouTube is on there and I, and I believe uh, Twitter was also taught. I don't know if Twitter's on there officially, but I know they were uh, at least talking about joining the lawsuit with YouTube. Um, so, so it's just interesting to me that you're not seeing other networks really try and jump in. It's more, other platforms that are the ones trying to argue this is an antitrust case yeah yeah that, that's more information that i'm that i had so i'm glad you brought that up but yeah I, I mean you think about like what other networks would they go to like they basically have the the big three especially when it comes to sports um so yeah it, it'll be interesting to see how it continues to play out if if that forces the nfl to fragment their rights a little more especially in the digital space right now amazon prime is the only one who has any sort of access to that and even so it's like partial access they don't have any like only it's only going to be on amazon prime they're always like simulcasting if it's on fox or nfl network for thursday night football so it'll it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out i'm yeah i am interested to see there's a lot of a, a, a lot of legal things surrounding both the nfl and and major league baseball uh, both have got a, a lot of legal issues kind of swarming them this year. So it's, I'm, it's very, it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. We might really see some drastic changes on the other side of all this COVID stuff, uh, more on the way in which we intake sports and consume sports as opposed to the actual stuff on the field. Yeah. I, it would make sense from a kind of uh, transition and natural progression. Kind of progression. Yeah. That's perfect word of, sports business and and how it's starting to move so we'll see if those leagues hop on board uh whether they're legally um, kind of forced to or not uh let's kind of stay in that lane with our next one here and i'm going to kick it over to you um talking about owners in the nfl and in major league baseball specifically um we've talked a lot about their losses and 
let's try to get into what this could mean for the future year's salary caps of these different leagues. Yeah. So, so, uh, I mean, for those who don't know, uh, literally before the world series even ended, well, the, the world series ended and the next day, um, there was an article released by Yahoo, uh, that claimed that the owners were put projected to lose over uh, like $8 billion in 2021. We haven't even, we literally haven't even made it one day after we've crowned a champion. Uh, and the owners are already crying poor for 2021. Uh, fast forward to yesterday. We're recording this on Tuesday, election day. Um, so as of yesterday, Monday, um, there was an article saying that the NBA owners are saying they're, they're already getting in a fight with the players over the start date of the season. Uh, the players want to wait until after the turn of the year. Uh, the owners want to start December 22nd. Um, and they were saying if they, the owners then proceeded to release an article yesterday uh, saying that if they waited until after the turn of the year or later, uh, they were projected to lose $1.1 billion um, just based on that decision alone. Um, so, so I say all this um, because I really, I guess I, I wanted to set up a larger conversation and let's go back before the virus, which I know for me, uh, that feels like an eternity ago, but I w- let's just go back before the virus. And I think yeah, let's just take a quick trip with Miss Frizzle in the magic school bus <laughs> and go back. Um, we look back, the NBA was getting to a point in their collective bargaining agreement where their salaries were just through the roof. like, And they were escalating way quicker than revenues were going up, than league revenues were. Yeah, role players who are starters, but starters who are role players, uh, $20 million guaranteed contracts every year. Yes, yes. You had, it was, it was crazy. And and I know Adam Silver talked about this a bunch and people could, I could get roasted. I'm, I'm, but please, like, I've read the stuff, like, I'm just spark noting this, trying to make it as condensed as possible. Like, Adam Silver intentionally kept the salary cap lower and spread it out over X number of years to prevent how bad it could have been. Uh, but it was still really bad. Like how players revenue, player salaries were outgrowing revenues of the league. So there it had to be a point, which I'm, this is what I'm getting to is there had to be a point in which these salary caps had to come down. We like we had, the players had to come down because these owners revenues weren't keeping up. Like they weren't pacing correctly. Um, now then this coronavirus hits and I use basketball as an example, but it's happening everywhere. Like all the sports is the same way. The only one you could really argue, maybe not is baseball because there's no salary cap, but baseball's here and they seem to be the loudest, squeakiest wheel and most publicly annoying one about it. Um, without a doubt. Uh, so, but my point is COVID hits and yes, there's some lost profits, lost revenues, lost everything. Um, that nobody could expect. I, I well, and no, the, nobody expected it in sports. Nobody was ready for this in sports, and so the owners are taking losses. Now, are they taking as big of losses as they they're saying? It depends on what side of the aisle you fall on, players or owners. I, I'm not here to argue that. My point is, what I'm arguing is, 
whatever, the, however big the loss is that the owners are taking. I think we can all agree they're taking a loss. However big it is, we can argue that. That's fine. However big the loss is, have we, are we, are they using COVID as that artificial hand to kind of just be like, okay, we've hit the point now. It's now the salary caps coming back down. Like, are they using COVID to push, push it back down, even though we may not have necessarily hit that point of revenue wasn't keeping up with, with salary cap. But I, I feel like they're using this COVID as a get-out-of-jail-free card, and you're starting to see it really, really strain this, this owner-player relationship, maybe on a level that you haven't seen it in years past. Yeah, I think that um, that's an interesting question because part of me is like they would certainly be smart to do so. If, if that is the situation where the – salary cap is increasing at a rate that is outpacing um, revenue growth rate because that's one thing I that we don't want to get confused is that these leagues are still having increasing revenues especially when you look at the NBA but if the revenues aren't increasing at a rate equal to or above uh, the increasing rate of the cost aka player salaries then if you're looking at it from a holistic business view, you're seeing where there's going to be that crossing point where all of a sudden your costs are higher than your revenue because you let it kind of get a little out of control. So they would certainly be smart to kind of use this to shield themselves to, hey, we got to do it because COVID. But it's also just, I don't understand why the two sides can't just have open conversations about this because I, I I also do sometimes think that the players don't realize that that scenario of their salaries getting too high to sustain is even possible. They think that the revenue tree is just going to keep growing. Money's going to keep falling. So it's like, we got to have some. Well, and, and the reason there. for that, the reason for that in my eyes is because the players don't trust the numbers that the owners mm. are putting forward. I see. Like if, if you tell me, hey man, I've only got half a pie in my fridge, but I really think you're sitting on five pies in your fridge, like that's where the, the, the problem is. Like you're telling me you've only got this much, but I've seen your operation. I'm part of your operation. I know you're sitting on five pies, MF, you know what I'm saying? Like it's and yeah. so I think there's 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 a lot of them a lot of distrust. Um to Are there any are there any owners within the NBA who could cross that chasm? Mark Cuban. That was the uh, name I, I had in my head, but I didn't know if it was realistic or not. Well, I, I mean, I, to me, Mark Cuban and even even Ballmer, I, the Clippers mm. guy. I, I yeah. think he's a guy that could that could. Um, but I mean, but for every, there, I just named two, uh, and I'm struggling to come up with many more. I'm sure there are some somewhere. Um, but but even for just those two, I would tell you for every one there is that can reach across and, and make it work, uh, there's ten owners that can't. Yeah. Because because, and that's part of the problem with with this owner style system we have is not all owners are created equal. Just like not all players are created equal. So, you put a salary cap on us. Like right now, coming out of COVID, there's probably some owners uh, who this salary cap is going to cause a problem like they probably don't even have the financial resources to meet the floor of the salary cap 
there and I mean that's just just is what it is. Now and then there's other owners like Mark Cuban where the salary the salary floor to him is literally a fart in a whirlwind. Like yeah. it's yeah. nothing. Like he he can make it you know and he's already you've already seen it. Like those owners like Mark Cuban continued to pay his arena staff, continued to do like because it really to him is a drop in a bucket. Like it's nothing. Well, and he's got his bonds diversified, so he can pull funds from other profitable business operations within his portfolio and help him do some of those things, which he sees and we would agree as being the right thing to do. Uh, I wonder if it's a cash flow issue, because still at the end of the day, an NBA team should be making enough money to cover the salary cap. But if it's a cash flow issue of you got to have all these cash outlays of player salaries and commit to all this stuff well, before and I think you're getting revenue you're checks. It, that's why you're seeing it come now is because – and coming into 2021. And I think that's why 2021 is seeing such the blowback that it's going to see in all sports is because those revenue numbers in 2020 were did dip and, and dip drastically. Like, Right, so, but I, I guess my thought on it was like – the 2021 revenue numbers because now they've figured out that at the very least they should be able to play every game on television, right? Mm -hmm. Like maybe there won't be fans, but it seems like they'll at least have a more of a normal season from like amount of games and shit and, and then televised games. So shouldn't that in it of itself be able to cover the salary cap? Cause like in the NFL, their media deal makes teams profitable just off the media deal. Sure, but I'm sure they're getting held hostage by a lot of these media companies saying they're not getting the value they thought they would, and they're throwing those rating numbers up like that have been coming up in the media left and right. But but at the end of the day, let's call a spade a spade. And I know it's like the fourth time I've said that this show, but like they also depend, especially baseball, basketball, you got 81 home games. That's gate revenue, food revenue. At basketball, it's 41. So you've got gate revenue, food revenue, all that goes away. Sponsor, yeah, I mean it's a lot of stuff. Sponsorship dollars, that sponsorship dollars you've given away just to keep your sponsors happy, to hope that they'll roll over their their money that they've already paid you because, I mean, they probably prepaid a three year, five year, seven year, nine year, ten year contract, uh, or prepaid half of it. I mean, who knows the payout structures that all these sponsors are on, and the sponsors can't be happy. So you're literally trying to you know shuffle all this around at the end of the day you took a revenue dip there's no doubt and that revenue dip is what's causing this push forward and now they're like oh man if this thing continues even longer then because we're the only country in the world who can seem to drag it out <laughs> nine months like that's the one that, that that's why you're seeing this snowball effect of year after year after year after year of these impacts and that's why i think you're seeing these owners kind of use COVID as this artificial and I, I'm using the term artificial very loosely, but artificial market corrector and that they're just going to, cause now they already see the writing on the wall. Cause I would tell you two thirds of the NBA owners probably are looking at, they can't physically, they don't have the cash flow to physically pay the players for the next two seasons, three seasons, whatever the number is. 
Yeah, and they probably are unlikely or a little hesitant to try and take out a loan to pay for that or look for other sources of funding. Uh, I know sometimes the leagues have like loan programs, so like the league acts right. as a bank. They used that for New Orleans uh, a few years ago. Um, but uh, you're see- you're seeing the impact of this on the business side of these organizations because you're seeing teams who are currently playing sports right now, and they are laying off like half of their front office business operations. So those people are eating it right now. Uh, and if, if the path seems to continue as you've kind of laid it out, uh, the, the players and the owners and the unions are going to come to a head because you're just going to get in this vicious cycle of like, some of the owners are going to be like, listen, well, how I think what are we supposed happen, to do? How I think it's going to happen is the owners are going to impose a salary cap. That's stupid low. It, to, lower than let's just stupid low. I didn't mean to pr- frame uh, frame something, so let's not frame it. The salary cap is going to come down from what it is now in all sports except baseball because baseball just lawless land. It's the Louisiana and Florida of sports. <laughs> um, but in all the other sports, the salary cap is going to come down. And when that happens, if you currently are paying a player. Let's just use Russell Wilson as an example, because uh, he's thirty-five million a year. Uh, Russell will that instead of being forty percent of your total salary cap, when the salary cap comes down, Russell Wilson's now fifty percent, fifty-five percent of your total salary cap, and so you're not going to be able to feel the team at all paying Russell Wilson that much. So no, it won't be, it won't drop these players salaries immediately, but be just that one year of the salary cap coming down, it's going to naturally be that invisible hand shout out, whatever the economics, it's literally going to be that invisible hand that pushes everybody back down uh, because you literally won't be able to feel the team. If one guy is being paid over half of your budget. Yeah, and I'm sure they'll try and like defer payments and and do all that stuff, and that'll that'll help them make a little bit of room, but it's not going to solve the issue. It, what it's going to come down to is will there be a strike in any of these sports? And and I, the sad part, and this is the part where I think they got them, is the players can't afford to strike in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, can't do it. And uh, some of them within newly signed CBAs, even legally would really struggle to like have a proper strike. It seems with, with some of the language and different restrictions that are put in there in terms of the right NFL, what is a work stoppage? What isn't allowed to cause work stoppages, so on and so forth. Um, let's get to our last work topic here. Um, as it is election day, the Seattle storm came out. Uh, I think this was now like two weeks ago, maybe and publicly endorsed, uh, the Biden Harris ticket um, use their logo on on different like phone wallpapers so on and so forth um, so this started this general conversation of like should companies or franchises in the sporting world but even companies in the business world whether they're private or public uh, endorse political candidates well I mean it, I think most people listening to us probably know our stance. The whole, <laughs> as much as we've talked on, we the, stand with the stormies. Well, but but it's just this this whole thing. Like you do it, like these. I I still am am questioning the authenticity of this. I I well no I'm not I'm not I, hold on let me let me let me rephrase because that that's not true. It's very authentic to the storm. Correct. 
it's it's very fitting to the storm. So the storms are the storm. Sorry, the storm is very authentic when in doing this, like completely support it. But the reason that other companies don't do it is because they fear they're running off clientele, whatever, one side or the other. Which I also would argue is in. That's where I'm saying it's inauthentic. Like you have an opinion, but you're just not expressing it because you're going to run off. Your consumer base, which you're is a about business the bottom move. line. You're yeah. you're right. It's a business move. Yep. And and you know, to me, to me, I I say that on the one side of my face, but then it's really funny to me when you have one political party chanting "LeBron sucks" at a rally, <laughs> like I, I, it, like it, so you can't. It's just in the same the same tune of face you, or same face says keep politics out of sports but then they chant lebron sucks at a rally like yeah. <laughs> like you can't that's not you can't have it both ways like if you don't want the storm and lebron to speak out politically and and show how they feel politically don't crap on lebron and the storm on the other side yeah or talk about the ratings every opportunity you get um i i at least did think it was a valid question of saying like should especially companies like should companies publicly endorse candidates i think there's probably an interesting line between public and private if you're a private company which most if not you're getting yourself in a lot of trouble there though how so because like super PACs and everything else like to me because corporations which we're i mean we're diving into the the politicization of of american business but just it, it to me you have large corporations that dominate the business world now and if you give them free reign to sway a political election you can understand how there could be some areas of confusion for lack of a better term that that come up yeah i i guess the way i was looking at it is like especially in the team landscape like a team is a private entity if their ownership group wants to endorse a candidate uh how is it any different than all the owners who behind closed doors funnel in millions of dollars of donations to candidates it's not any different it's no different at all the only difference is a lot of people don't know that those owners funnel money to candidate one candidate or the other don't care what i do care but one candidate or the other and the they don't it doesn't influence whether a player will sign there it doesn't influence those kind of decisions but when you come out publicly the other way and it, and i i listened to a an interesting interview with jimbo fisher uh which jimbo fisher for the listener hundreds of thousands of you uh is the head coach at texas a&m um and they at the interviewer asked jimbo fisher who he was voting for and he said he didn't he didn't vote because it and I quote, he did not vote because it messes with his recruiting process too much. Yeah, I, I kind of think that's a, oh man, my initial reaction was, I don't know that the reporter should answer, like should be asking that question. Well, uh, I, I, I agree. I agree. I Like who you vote for is your business. Like you're going to ask everybody on the team who they're voting for. Like, right. But, but are we gonna have that conversation? if I'm Jimbo Fisher, let's put myself, let's put yourself as Jimbo Fisher. Like if you say one way or the other, like are you and the number five, number one recruit in the country next year is in Alabama where or Wyoming. Let's just pick a real deep red state. 
and and then it or if the number one recruit next year is from California, California, yeah, California, like you could have seriously jeopardized your chance at getting the number one recruit just because of what your head coach, who he said he was voting for. Yeah, I, I mean, I think when it comes, especially down, is how divided as we are now. I think it comes down to like how comfortable are you in your decision because it's not just about who you vote for there's there's a plethora of issues in our society um even before 2020 that people have strong opinions on and could come out and like make a a stand against i mean lgbtq uh and the growth of that community and supporting that community has been something that massive brands nike gets behind um so it's not like this is a, a necessarily a new thing when you just look at it from a standpoint of issues I think it comes down to, are you comfortable with this? Are you confident about it? Are you willing to understand that it's going to have consequences, but it could also have um, benefits? Um, What I wonder about, and, and we're probably getting too far into it, but it's like, if you're a public company, which, okay, Nike and and their LGBTQ stuff would fall into this, um, where's the line of like, because you're a public company that you're fiduciary responsibility is to stakeholders and shareholders um and some of these decisions may hurt their dividends uh where does is that just a full gray area like it's no, just it's like, not gray you know somebody that and that's why i think you don't have a lot of people try it uh is because you could i think there's a serious argument and and i and i want to stop us before we get too deep in the weeds but there's a serious argument that if you come out and make a statement like that as a company you're not you don't have the best uh what i'm trying to use my best legal tongue here uh you don't have the best interest of the yeah, company fiduciary, fiduciary right you're, you're not you're not abiding by your fiduciary duty and somebody and believe me in america where we're so happy which we are if you <laughs> if you if you came out and said something like that as a ceo of a company that's publicly traded unless you unless you're the ceo that owns a large share of it when i say large probably over 50% um i mean you're putting yourself at risk for that to have yeah. somebody sue you it's an interesting it's an interesting discussion um before seeing the storm do it uh, there's plenty of uh, i can think of two off the top of my head businesses in my rural michigan town uh that are like privately owned businesses and and they display their political candidates outside of their like factories and stuff like that um so it, this isn't just a like oh the seattle storm are the only they're the only uh sports franchise to do this but businesses are doing this type of stuff so it, it's just an interesting um conversation to have and as we've shown you can very quickly get into some serious weeds about it so let's get out of the weeds here in the work and and bounce around into a few of our play topics that we have left can we start with the detroit tigers yeah absolutely i think that is the perfect one to start with so uh my state my state uh hometown Detroit Tigers uh, signed a new manager uh, this past week that you, Mr. Munz, are very familiar with. I am. And so I want to give a quick shout out to Timmy C., Tim Clitzell, uh, Tom Klitzmill, as the people know him on the streets. Uh, he Is he uh, any relation to uh, the hero? The hero? Old Johnny Clitheroe? 
Oh, no, no, no relation there. Uh, any, no, no relation, but two, two legends, really. That's, that is, that is, a, that, if those two fought, it would be a clash of Titans. Uh, but so I wanted to ask you, I guess I want to start with you. For those who don't know, the Detroit Tigers signed AJ Hinch as their manager. AJ Hinch was the manager of the Houston Astros who won a world series, uh, but was also dragged down in this league wide cheating scandal. Uh, and scapegoated by the Major League Baseball. Um, so, Ian, as a Tigers guy, uh, you're you're our resident Tigers insider. Uh, and we need a better did... resident Tigers insider. <laughs> well, I, well, I <laughs> but I'm wanna... I'm here. I'm here for it. Because, but because, okay, I want to know your opinion because to me, as an Astros fan, which I I'm and most people have let me know that I'm nauseatingly. Astros bias on this show <laughs> but I'm an Astros fan first but I, I tend to try and check myself and I do enjoy the sport of baseball like I, I enjoy watching it I enjoy the beauty of the game to me the media took a complete about face with with how they treated him as an Astro but after he got let go so I'm talking 19 when they let him go to to now or two last week when they hired him, he was the villain. He was, he was straight heel, horrible guy, horrible manager. Let this go on ruined baseball. Pretty much the a rod of the steroids era. <laughs> like, and now he gets hired by the tigers and all of a sudden he's on this comeback tour. He's a good person. He's performed. He's all of a sudden got it figured out. And he's welcome back, like welcome back to baseball. Uh, what is your opinion? Did you see it that way as a Tigers fan? How do you feel? Kind of that's kind of what I'm interested to hear. Yeah, I've seen probably a little bit of all of that. Um, definitely saw that obviously when he and uh, Alex Cora were both suspended and subsequently fired for a season after the kind of sanctions originally came down. They were clearly, you know, given their uh, their due rights in the media, I suppose. Maybe not due rights, but they were read the riot act by the media. Um, personally, from my standpoint, I thought that in recently and, and really after that initial firing and suspension, um, that had quieted down. As I sit here now, I even remember hearing people say like, as soon as their suspension is over, they'll be back in baseball and they'll be two of the best managerial candidates out there. So it seems like people... which, which hold on. We all, the people need to know the Red Sox are going to hire Alex Cora again, back. Like that's in yeah. the works to happen. They literally just gave him a one year hiatus and they're going to bring him back. <laughs> so like, I, 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 yeah, I think that narrative was already starting to be spun. Um, as I was sitting here, I, and, and probably a little like, uh, further removed from it than than you obviously are. Um, I kind of didn't hear anything about Hinch or Cora for that matter. Uh, all the the media and talkings that I saw, uh, especially among Major League Baseball players, was about the Astros players themselves. Um, I will say that some articles that I've read, um, kind of from like local Detroit Free Press and, and other Michigan sources, and even a Sports Illustrated article that I was reading earlier today about this AJ Hinch signing, they still do bring up that like he's got a long road to go and that he still has this kind of uh they call it like a complicated past and so on and so forth. So 
in at least what I've seen, it doesn't seem like people are just pushing it aside. Um, from a Tigers fan, it, yeah, I mean, you're caught in this play, this like interesting spot where you're like, yeah, that happened. Like, there's a lot of conflicting and interesting details around it. Like, it is what it is. And at this point, the Tigers, like, we we are at the bottom. So it's like, what else? What else are we gonna do? He seems to be one of the better managers out there. My whole thing, and I'll be curious to get your thoughts on this because I think you you might have a better understanding than I do, is like the Tigers are at a position now where when you look at their roster and the people that they put out on the diamond to play baseball, it does not matter who their manager is. You and I could sit there, fill out the lineup card, and try and manage that team, and they're going to finish under 300. Uh, Tigers have finished under 400 with a winning percentage for the past four years in a row. Uh, They've been terrible baseball. So I'm like, okay, fine, we can bring them in. Is this really going to change the the, um, future of the Tigers? It probably doesn't hurt, but is is he drafting players? Is he developing them in the minor leagues? Like, I'm not sure what level of impact a major league baseball manager can have in turning around a franchise um, compared to like NFL coaches or even NBA coaches, uh, where it seems like they can really have a direct impact. Um, I'm not sure if that's the case in in major league baseball. So, do I understand that all else aside, he's arguably the best uh, candidate on the market. Yes. Cool. Awesome. Tigers didn't fuck up a decision for like the first time in five or six years. That's great. Uh, Do I think that means we're winning a world series in the next three or four years? Absolutely not. And, and and I, I, so I agree with you. Um, And, but I, I think for different reasons. So my, my thing is in baseball, the thing that made AJ Hinch so awesome and and fun to watch as the Astros manager was just the and and I know this this is an NBA term so everybody settle up if you don't have one you may not you, you may not understand what it is uh, synergy uh, yeah. the synergy just between the GM and the manager and I know I can already hear all, all everybody just saying oh yeah the synergy of banging trash cans and cheating like I yeah all right fine which if you really read the facts and got into it there wasn't synergy there because aj hinch was the only one who's on record they had him on film as the one who's trying to stop what the astros were doing so in reality that's the only part that there wasn't a synergy between the general manager and the coach the manager uh so so anyway i say that to say this I'm not certain. AJ Hinch was a huge believer in the numbers, the analytics, which, and it's hard not to be in baseball anymore. It's pretty much if you're, if you're not bought in in the numbers side of the game in baseball anymore, you're pretty much a dinosaur. Um, however, I say that to say that I'm not convinced the Tigers aren't one of those dinosaurs still hanging on. I know they're, I know they're hindered by. Uh, the Miggy contract, pretty bad. Uh, the Miggy contract is pretty atrocious, um, and yep. so I, I, it's hard to it's hard to, uh, to really say whether they're hindered by, um, you know, lack of willing to accept the future of baseball being a numbers based game, or if they're just hindered by a piss poor contract that they made 
I guess it was 10 years ago now, five years, between five and 10 years ago now. I, I can't remember how long ago that contract was signed, but it, you've got at least two more, two or three more years of dealing with Miguel Cabrera, um, it, which I don't care who you, I, uh, to your point, I agree that like, you're going to have, as a manager, it doesn't matter what you do. You're not going to, that team is not a winning team. However, I think, that synergy is what you're looking for. And I'm just not sold that there is a synergy between the team message in Detroit and what they're trying to build in Detroit and AJ Hinch. And you saw that in Arizona when AJ Hinch's first rodeo as a manager, uh, he didn't do very, he was not good period, not good in Arizona. And he took the brunt of the heat. And in reality, it was just the, there wasn't a synergy between the, what the team itself was trying to do and AJ Hinch. And I think there's a very real possibility that we could see that here again. I hope I'm wrong. Cause I'm cheering for that old English D, but um, I just, I can't say I have a whole lot of faith in the Tigers management. Yeah. Alavila has been the GM since 2015. Uh, as basically as soon as he took over, he said, okay, we're rebuilding. We're starting the rebuild. This was at the height of the Astros kind of coming through their rebuild and, and, and becoming a kind of force in baseball. Um, so basically as soon as he took over, he said, this is what we're going to do. We got rid of every good player we had except Miguel Cabrera um, and have literally been terrible at baseball ever since. According to Major League Baseball Pipeline, we do have the number two rated farm system currently as we stand today behind the Tampa Bay Rays. So that's kind of scary. The team that was in the World Series also has the number one farm system. Um, But man, yeah, I think you're right. It's like if you're banking on, oh, we're going to be really young and get really good really fast and you don't have the money to spend on free agents because you're tied up in a Miggy contract that you're unfortunately just not getting the baseball out of um, for the amount that you're paying him at this point in his career. Uh, it's it's going to be tough, but whatever. The, the Tigers suck. That's just the start and end of the conversation. But I, I, I agree. The Tigers do suck. But I would, I would argue, like, if you held on to fit, if you were holding on to the clinging to some hope that the Tigers were going to be relevant again, in the next decade and decades being conservative, right? This was certainly the step in the right direction, I would say. Yes. And that's my point. Like this, nothing about this move makes you go that we're tanking. Like nothing about this move makes you go, Oh, this, this is a bad move. Like, I, I don't care anything about the past. Like if you're a Tigers fan, this is a good hire period period and at the end of the story at the end of the day at the end of everything like if you're if you're sincere about trying to make an attempt to be relevant making an attempt to win this is a good hire yeah they could have hired tony Larusa like the white Sox did so at least we didn't fuck that one up well you're gonna see head to head in the in the division the next, the next well the white years. Sox have a way better team than the tigers so sure again, and like... that's why i said the next few years because i would argue that the White Sox are built for now. Well, outside of Eloy, I do like Eloy. But outside of Eloy, the, ty- the White Sox are built for right now. Like the White Sox need to need to unseat the Indians like now. And if they don't, and I, and, I, and so in, in reality, that, that's why. It's the why twins I, it, that they got to unseat. 
Well, then the the Indians have won the division. The Twins have been a wild card the past few years. Uh, I, yeah, I, but I don't know, man. It just feels it in the it feels like people feel like it's still the Twins or it is the Twins, even though it maybe is Cleveland. Everybody still seems to think that Minnesota has kind of taken over as like actually being the best. Well, team. Minnesota's the up and comer, but Minnesota looks like. And I and I put a I put a big asterisk on on twenty twenty. So I really it, it, looking at you, Dodgers. I put an asterisk on your championship, uh, <laughs> Crimea River. Uh, but I so twenty twenty. I'm trying not to put a whole lot of stock into. But yes, Minnesota's the younger team. They're the up and coming team. I get it. But you look up and down that Minnesota lineup. There's nobody that you're like, oh, watch out. This guy's going to be around for a while, and he's scary. Like. You look up and down that White Sox lineup. There's a couple guys in there. You're like, okay, this this might be a guy. Like, you got Luis Robert. You got Eloy Jimenez. You got Yohan Moncada is not old by any stretch. Like, I, so to me, like, yes, and and maybe it's both. Maybe it's the Twins and White Sox both become the new head of the AL Central, and you got a wild card and a division winner every year. And maybe maybe the next five years. The AL Central sending two teams to the playoffs, and it's the Twins and White Sox every year. We're trying to figure it out, and the Indians are an afterthought, like they have been since they their inception. Since they lost the World Series to the Cubs, right? Well, even before that, when were the Indians ever relevant? Kenny, since Kenny Lofton played, yeah, I did like Kenny Lofton as a kid. Um, but yeah, I mean, regardless, who's not going to be there is the Tigers. So uh, that is what that is. Um, there is. <laughs> There is one thing we're we're gonna push something from producer Kennedy to next week about the old. I think they're now called the Arizona Coyotes. They yeah, used to yeah. be the Phoenix Coyotes. So we're gonna we're gonna table that, push that one to next week. Um, so be prepared for that. Um, so let's get Sorry, into producer our, Kennedy. Great topic though. <laughs> it, it's really just because you know I'm I'm staring down my clock of when dinner is gonna be ready. So we gotta we gotta keep things moving along here for the people. Um. Let's get into our dedicated segments of the week. Do you have, do you have one? Uh, you go first. I have one. It's it's real quick. It's like one sentence. So you you just go ahead and take. Uh, I, I well, I want to see your fire breather. So I'm not going to give you the choice. I want to hear your fire. <laughs> Man, I got some good ones. Um, okay, so the fire breather is maybe the Big Ten is actually doing these COVID nineteen player protocols who test positive correctly. Um, and I specifically want to focus on one part of this. It's the whole, well, they're out for 21 days. That's, that's the big news story. Everybody's all pissed off about it. I wanted to actually kind of get in and break down what that 21 days looks like. So the first 14 days of that for a player, they are basically isolated. They're not allowed to do any like team activity or any activity for that matter. Uh, and then the next seven days, they are allowed basically back into practice and to do cardio activity they undergo extensive cardiac testing, and they must be cleared by a cardiologist uh, before being cleared to, uh, or before being allowed to play. And I kind of think that this is actually a good idea for two reasons, um, or maybe more than two. I guess we'll see how many I get into here. One, right off the bat, um, I think that it would be irresponsible to think that a player. Um, having to sit out for any length of time, whether it's 14 days for COVID, whether it's seven days or 10 days, like some of the other conferences are doing, uh, would be able to play a game like the next day 
that they are allowed to play. Um, most of you listening, including ourselves and most people in the world who are bitching about this, couldn't even go run a fucking mile safely after doing nothing for 14 days. So I don't know, understand how we think it would be like ultimately safe for these players to have not done anything for either seven or 14 days and then come out and play a football game at the highest level. Uh, and we're kind of seeing some potential ramifications of that in the NFL. Uh, the NFL this year has had an uptick in injuries, um, especially serious injuries that are causing like season ending surgeries. It's happening amongst star players. It's happening amongst uh, players 50 through 53. It's happening. It's happening throughout the league at a rampant pace. And it's showing that it's really because not, not necessarily because there wasn't any preseason games, but because there was so less of a ramp up into the season. Um, players weren't allowed to have as many like uh, OTAs and training camps and padded practices and all these things. Um, and now you're seeing that a lot of people are getting hurt. The last time the NFL had something like this was when they were having some like labor disputes in 2011 or 2012. And in that year, there were also an uptick in injuries. So all of this to say that if, if you think that a player could sit out for seven days or up to 14 days, like the big 10, and then, oh, well, their 14th day was Friday, so they can play on Saturday, but they haven't done anything for 14 days. You're putting them out there at risk. So I actually, when you well, look and, at and it. And we're bringing this up because of Trevor Lawrence, I would assume, right? That That's what our primary guy Not necessarily. I mean, it was mainly just about the Big Ten and people being pissed off about that Wisconsin quarterback not being able to play for 21 days. And it, they're like, well, the CDC doesn't even recommend 21 days. They recommend 14. I'm like, well, they are doing 14. The extra seven, they're able to practice and do stuff, but they're doing cardiac testing and stuff and even if they weren't doing all that testing it's like again most of you motherfuckers could not go run a mile safely without if you didn't do anything for 14 days so these guys aren't going to go play football but even look at the look at the injuries that have happened in college football i mean it was to the point i and i know a lot of good it does colin talking about the texts you sent three days ago on a podcast like nobody gives a flying you know what but i mean i even text you during the michigan game on saturday like and and that is a Big Ten team, but it, it it's but it's not just the Michigan. It's it's college football wide. Like you yep. can't watch a college football team a game, college football game at all, without being like, damn, they're getting injured like a lot. Like even for somebody who worked in football, it's a lot. I, and I recognize like injuries are a part of it, but like people are getting hurt. Period. Yeah. Like hurt a lot. And it's big time tendon, ligament, soft tissue injuries that um, are hard to come back from and are serious and and kind of change the course of somebody's career in a lot of ways. So I just think it's like, it ultimately goes to we're worrying about the wrong fucking things here. But when you look at the Big Ten's 21 days and understand that it's the kind of 10 to 14 day quarantine, which is in line with CDC recommendations currently. And then it's like, okay, then let's give you a week to actually ramp up to play so that you are actually in game shape after having to, at the very least, sit around for 14 days. Not to mention that maybe you were actually like super sick and and maybe you are having trouble breathing still, which we have seen with athletes across college and in the NFL. Um, 
Look up the story about Raquel Armstead for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Probably heard about him if you play fantasy football at the beginning of the year because he was supposed to be their guy. Well, now he's on IR for the year because he can't stay out of the hospital with COVID, and he's like 22 years old. So all this to say, has the Big Ten made some mistakes along the way? Yes. Is it smart, in my opinion, that they are saying, hey, we want to give you a ramp-up period to play after you've had to sit out? Also, yes. Uh, what we're what I'm hearing is the Big Ten is uh, God's conference, and they had it figured out all along. And uh, there's just a big overreaction uh, for the Big Ten. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> okay, I like that. Well, that'll be our conclusion. What do you What do you got? You got you got a little one one liner here for the people. I do. Uh, and and this is I know uh, Ian will probably get mad at me for this, but uh, you know what? Here we go. Uh, money move of the week. Um, and it's real quick. It's election day. Uh, and I know election day is probably going to turn into election week, uh, with all of this. Facts. So, uh, even whenever you, we, whenever this comes out, I don't even know when this is going to go, go live Wednesday, Wednesday. Okay. So tomorrow, um, just no matter the result, like we're all Americans, like let's not fight. Let's not, let's not make make this worse than it has to be because i think we can all agree it's going to be pretty bad but uh let's just remember to love your neighbor love love each other uh because that's really all we got at this point absolutely motivational words from mr munt i feel like it was a fortune cookie but we'll we'll (laughs) we'll call it we'll call it it's more that uh i think i think we have trained. This is a time that's trained tending sports. That's that's my why I felt like I had to go that way. I feel like we are we've reached a moment that is bigger than the game. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, let's get into our fantasy five of the week, which is uh, quite Ooh. the topic, actually. If if okay, you don't is... have a pen and paper ready, you might want to get one. Uh, true. Um, do, I mean, we're 25 episodes in. Do you think the people know what the fantasy five is at this point or do it? Should I, explain I, I would it? certainly hope that they are quite aware. Okay. Well, I just, you know, I feel like we're picking when hundreds of thousands, they spread like wildfire. <laughs> look at the coronavirus. So I'll, I'll, for any newcomers to the podcast, uh, the fantasy five each week, Ian and I pick a topic and we pick a team of five that fit within that topic and we put them against each other, put it to social media for you to vote on who's got the better team. Um, and we use a snake system in our draft because we do live in a society, at least for the next 24 hours. And it does separate, <laughs> <Big> us, from <laughs> the, it does separate us from the animals. Uh, so this week we went a very large category, very, very large category. A uh, lot of room here. My big board is leaking. Uh, but we went with TV shows. And the only caveats that are not welcome in this uh this grouping, no game shows allowed and no documentary type uh, shows. So we, this was uh, last chance you hard knocks, that type uh, planet earth. Um, those, those are not welcome at this party as well. And so, to be fair, if the people are upset, do know that you can go back to one of our previous episodes and we have an entire fantasy five dedicated to game shows. Yes. And Ian won because he called all his closest friends and family members to vote. Hey, Better than pandering and picking something that I don't even enjoy, like chocolate ice cream. Oh, oh my God. You're still <laughs> upset about the chocolate ice cream. Hey, if you're going to bring one the up, I, I can people. bring it back. The I can bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we are doing TV shows this week. Um, 
I think that my big board could continue on. I ended up, I have a list of 23 shows and there's certainly a, probably at least 20 that I've forgotten that I would be, I will be upset that I forgot uh, when either you say one of them, or I just realize that it's not on the list. I somehow put together a 10 that I think will, I'll pick, but I've also got an honorable mention and a can't go wrong category that Ooh. depending on how things are going, I, I might just throw it all out and pick what I'm feeling here. See, see, I, I did a, a very different style. I t- had a list of a little over 20. I had 22 on the original list and I was determined to cut it down to uh, my top 10. I couldn't quite get there. So I cut it down to the top 12. Um, but there are some in my top 12 that I, it's a pan, it's more pandering. So, uh, we'll see, we'll see if I, if I dip my toe in the pandering waters again, or if I, uh, stay true to yourself, stay true to what I like. So it's going to, it's going to be, it's up it will time will tell. Well, looking at the results from last week, we were in quite the battle. And by the tally that I did, thanks to an outpouring from Twitter, uh, I won a close one. I believe two votes. What since when has Twitter betrayed me? Twitter never betrays me. I don't know. You only got one of the seven votes on Twitter this week. So you mean seven hundred votes? Yes. Ah, yes. <laughs> so you got one hundred of the seven hundred. <laughs> yes, that is what I mean. Uh, but this actually does kind of put me in a tough spot. Uh, I think because I'm guessing we just have differing of opinions on some of these things. In a maybe shocking move, I'm going to go with the two three here. Yeah, see, I would have done the same thing. I would have seeded it too because I, I didn't think... think I was going to until just now, actually. Uh, well, and see, I think I know who you're going to take number one now. Now, now that I know that, almost guarantee you probably don't. Oh wow. Okay. Well. Uh, all right. Well, well, when we get to it, I'll I'll let you know what I thought you were going to take. But uh, all right, fine. Number one overall. Uh, I don't. I didn't want to be put in this spot. I really didn't. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take take a show that's very good. The ending is mediocre, but for even being a mediocre ending, the show itself great. It, I think it was an originator uh, of like the quote unquote binge watching TV, uh, and that's The Sopranos. One that is on my list that I've actually yet to see. Wow, uh, there, it's it, I am taking it for the the old classic feel. Uh, I think it's it's the Godfather, no pun intended, of of kind of being the modern modern person's way to watch TV. Well, and it's it's an HBO production, always good. I think the oh, only thing good. that's probably stopped me is it's I just know it's going to be an investment, so I got to oh, be ready. I got to yeah. be ready for the investment, and, and it's heavy. Um, I'm pretty pumped that I get these as my first two. This worked out just fine, I suppose. Um, these were my one and two on my big board. Uh, number one is The Wire, another oh. HBO heavy hitter. Good pick. Can't uh, argue it. That I actually watched for the first time at kind of the beginning of the quarantine and the pandemic. And the second one is Breaking Bad. Uh, see, two I had on the big board. Um uh, uh, it's hard to, to argue both those picks I had both of them on the big board uh, I would tell you Breaking Bad is more of a the more modernized Sopranos kind of in a way 
But uh, great picks. Had them both on my big board. Both would have been coming to me if you hadn't taken them. So good picks. Um, okay, next. <sighs> Dang it. All right, this is where I'm probably going to catch some heat. But um, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. So next I'm taking one of the shows that I watched uh, growing up. Uh, my, fam- my, my family, wa- my parents watched it all the time. Um, and so I naturally had no choice but to watch it. And I think it's hilarious. I think it's just still the comedy still holds in 2020. And that is Seinfeld. Ooh. Thought you might be going somewhere else there, but Seinfeld will do. Another one I actually uh, haven't seen. Wow. That, that, I'm more upset that you haven't seen Seinfeld than I am Sopranos. <laughs> so uh, that's funny that you are two for two on things that I've not seen yet. Well, I think it what just goes to the, good shows from. I, I think it just goes record. to the point that uh, this this uh, is a very wild and hairy area uh, <laughs> that that we can go a lot of different ways, and I'm afraid I might go uh, a wild and different way here. Um, another another comedy show, uh, one that is a time. I'm calling it a timeless classic. I don't care if you disagree with me. Um, I watched it all the way through for the first time in 2015 and uh still go back and watch it uh regularly and that is the office there is the first one that i have seen and i agree i mean the office is a great show um man okay i am gonna have to just continue to stay true to myself here i am going to first take game of thrones i knew that one see that was the one i thought you were going to take early and i that was the only one that i couldn't even pander enough yeah i would have lit you up if you picked that one i I couldn't pick it i i i'm i can't pander that hard i don't like it i don't support it i i'm just i'm generally against it so that was the one i thought was going to go number one overall but then i thought you were strategizing on me to uh sidestep me i actually didn't even think about that i should have i should have known that i could get that at any time um but it is number three on my big board um next i'm going with actually number four on my big board so the office was number five uh this is a contentious contentious debate oh i already know where you're headed um and as of recently when i really think about it i i do slightly give the edge um to my my fourth pick here in a race of which there are no losers uh but i'm gonna go parks and rec yep uh yep as soon as you said it's a it's a heated battle i actually i almost had a date ruined because i chose the office over parks and rec here recently i appreciate that person's commitment to that Uh, it was it was (laughs) hilarious it got very heavy and, and she it was to the point she she was ready to get up and leave and i was like okay let's just let's talk politics instead <laughs> i don't i uh i like both of them i mean they're four and five on my big board um but because you took one i certainly had to take the other and, and it's hard to argue that pick um all right so to wound to wind me out here <laughs> damn man this is tough um uh, See, and I'm even looking at my own big board and like contradict and and, and I'm contradicting myself here on what I want to do. Okay, here we go. Um, I can't. I'm I'm gonna do it. Uh, I'm gonna take Dexter next. Uh, 
and, and the reason be, and I, I already know this could be the, my downfall, but I'm going to pick it up with a pandering pick next. Um, Don't do it. Dexter, Dexter's got a horrible ending. I get it. Uh, horrible. It's horrible. But uh, the first five seasons of Dexter are just quality, quality, quality TV. Uh, binge worthy. You will literally binge all five seasons in like 12 days if you're in. But then I get it. It's a downfall from there. But those first five seasons, just remember those first five seasons when you're voting for me. Uh, and real quick, on, real quick on Dexter, if I may. Go uh, for it. I did. I've watched. I think like a season and a half. I actually don't even remember. I've certainly watched a little bit of it, um, but then I started hearing about how bad like the last season or two or however many were. So I kind of stopped watching it. But it, I kind of have this running list of things of of shows that are need to be revisited or watched for the first time in in the uh, instance of something like The Sopranos. And Dexter still remains on the list. So good to hear that you at least think the first five are good. I heard they got like a reboot coming, maybe. I I've heard the same. Um, so De- Dexter, it, the first five, amazing, I, and 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 I'm saying amazing, and that's not me overselling. Like first five are amazing, and then it is a cliff, like just, <laughs> and the the ending is possibly the worst ending I've ever seen in television, but. The first five, I'm I, I'm ready to put it on my Mount Rushmore. Uh, okay, enough. last pick, and this is this is tough. Don't pander. I, don't do it. Don't pander. There's so many TV shows. You got to pick the ones that actually speak to you. All right. God dang it. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna catch heat for this. Um, I'm gonna catch heat for this. And I, all right. If even if I, but the sad part is, even if I don't pander. I'm de- I still am torn between two. Uh, all right, but I'm, I'm taking Eastbound and Down. Oh, okay. Eastbound and Down uh, is is coming aboard. Uh, it's a, up and truck them. Yep it's a it's a it's a sports somewhat a sports. Uh, <laughs> it's got a sports tinge to it. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. Uh, good, clean family fun. Uh, Eastbound and Down. Fair enough. I I've seen bits and pieces also on on my list of things to actually watch at some point. Who's the uh, main actor? Kenny, Kenny Powers. Yeah. Well, yeah. he's the yeah character, but yeah. <laughs> also from like this is the end and other yep. fun Pineapple Express type movies. Um, my last pick, man. I was able to go one, two, three, four, and now I'm gonna stick with the big board actually and take number six the peaky fucking blinders oh see okay i would that one's on my big board wasn't i but i just didn't know if it had the following man Uh, i don't care i fucking love that show that show is outstanding i i support that pick i had i don't even have anything negative to say about arthur shelby and the peaky blinders compliments of the peaky fucking blinders (laughs) i love that Uh, show i think i've watched it three times actually Great show. I literally don't have a negative word to say. The only reason I didn't pick it, only reason I didn't pick it is because I didn't think people knew what it was. Um, and so I guess I somewhat pandered. But what else is on your big board, sir? Well, let's uh, let's give the people our five first, and then we oh. can get into our conversation of the other like 20 shows we have. So I've okay. got The Wire, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, Parks and Rec, and The Peaky Fucking Blinders. 
Mr. Munns, you have The Sopranos, Seinfeld, The Office, Dexter, and Eastbound and Down. Compliments of Kenny Powers. Um, and this, this, Ian, I'll tell you right now, this might be the only list that we've put together where I think it's actually close and I haven't just pounded you into submission. I mean, what it's going to be, this one will be really just based on what the audience likes, you know? I mean, because it seems like our big boards were rather unique and different from each other. So, well, yeah, go ahead and call all your thrones people, call all your elf, <laughs> all your elf watchers, Dude, and just I get think- them. I think Game of Thrones could actually be my biggest potential downfall on here because the last season was so objectively disappointing. I think a lot of people uh, actually gave up on it, even forgetting that the rest of it was brilliant. Um, so I think that actually could could be a chance for my downfall. But uh, other shows that I had, so let, <laughs> I I want to list off all of my categories since since we've got the time why not so between myself and you we hit six on my big board so seven eight nine ten i went entourage sons of anarchy archer and weeds i had sons of anarchy on my big board uh but none of the rest what else did you have on your big board first let's start there or on your top 12 so i i did have i did have sons of anarchy uh do you want so I had pandering picks on here. Do we want do we want those or skip them? Have you watched them? Yeah, I've watched them. I've I know them all. I I nothing on my list I haven't seen. Okay, then yeah, go for them because there's a chance that they're in my honorable mention or can't go wrong categories as well. So I, I took The Simpsons just because it's been on so long. Yep, like, fair enough. I think that's a pandering pick. I'm not a huge Simpsons fan seen the simpsons but i think it has to be on your list of tv shows i took port i have portlandia uh, because i love portlandia because of how crazy similar it is to real life portland um so portlandia made my list uh and then i had friends friends was on there i do like friends i know friends has come under a lot of scrutiny uh for being overrated, but I like friends. And then uh, probably the one that um, isn't a pandering pick that I actually like a lot. And then I put on my list. uh, But again, didn't think enough people would know or or connect with uh, is I love Lucy. Oh yeah. We were, we are in two different planets here with our our list of shows. (laughs) Um, Because I think out of all those ones you just named, I had zero on any of my lists in my like 23 shows or whatever. Wow. But I also had law and order, uh, but another another show that I've, I'm not like, it's like the Simpsons. It's just been on forever. And you got to give it the old, you're doing something right. The old tip of the cat. Yeah. So in my honorable mention, which was like the most likely to be pulled from, if need be, I had new girl, mad men, shameless, orange is the new black, Freaks and Geeks and Californication. I've only seen two of those in uh, of that are. entire list. Orange is the New Black and Mad Men, and I don't like Mad Men. <laughs> you would, uh, I would think you would probably like New Girl. It's in the same kind of style as The Office and Parks and Rec. Um, mm-hmm. Then my can't go wrong. It were Lost, Westworld, Succession, Watchmen, South Park, King of the Hill, and. Uh, my personal guilty pleasure of the moment, Top Chef. 
I've seen all of those, and and while I'm not comfortable putting them on my route Rushmore, still solid picks. Yeah, some of them it's it's like Westworld Succession are still in process. We don't know. West, see, Westworld is that too sci-fi? Like much like Game of Thrones is too LV, uh, too sci-fi for Westworld. Westworld. It's hard to get a grasp on. For yeah, it, it's it's pretty elevated. But those were at least shows that, I thought, yeah, that is a perfect way to put it. Um, but yeah, I think we gave the people a lot, a lot to uh, watch if if uh, the winter turns out to be as cold as it could possibly be. Um, into our next little fun segment uh, that we are now currently just recapping our Monday's best bets. We because- suck. We are terrible. Tough week. So Cullen and I both took the Buccaneers on the 12 and a half point spread against the Giants. Cullen double dipped and wanted the under 45 and a half. Took a bad beat with a little backdoor late game cover on a Danny Dimes touchdown pass to Golden Tate. Um, so I currently sit at three and six on the year and Cullen sits at four and six. Uh, so what did you learn from all this? People listening, uh, don't listen to us when we tell you who to bet on. That's pretty much Ugh. And and as you heard me project Michigan to win by 100 points last week, uh, I am clearly nobody you should listen to. It's interesting because I've also been keeping track on just an Excel, spread, an Excel sheet, just picking wins of every game. So not looking at the spread, but just, just picking winners. And I've been above 60% every single week. Um, but these Monday night games have been tough to get a feel on the spread and on the points. Uh, more so than I think some of the Sunday games, but hey, they're still, you know, we're going into week nine. We're halfway through with the season. We can we can turn this back around. We can still finish, you know. They they say if you're gonna bet to make money, you gotta hit on like 65 to 70 percent of your bets. It's gonna be tough, but we can still get there. I'm this is spoken like a true gambler. That's what every <laughs> gambler's last breath. They all they're just trying to get even. Just like the golfer who uh, shoots a terrible game, hits a hell of a tee shot on 16, and they're coming back next week, baby. Yep. <laughs> oh. that, uh, what, what I learned from this, folks, is uh, Vegas is undefeated, and nobody, no single man or woman, is ever going to take down Vegas. That's- yeah, I mean, there's a reason that you can still bet on all these things because uh, the people who are the bookies, whether it's the Vegas casinos, Joe Blow down at the local corner store, or the uh, some of the apps now they're making money. <laughs> That's yeah, why they want they, you. To keep they want you to keep betting because you can't beat them. No, or you can't beat them enough that it hurts because right. enough people lose a lot. A lot. Um, <laughs> luckily, right now the only thing we're down is our pride, and uh, you know we started with very little of it to begin with on this. Yeah, podcast, what is, so. I don't even know. What, I don't even know what pride is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of this. Uh, well, if you have any sort of pride, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. At oh, I thought we, I thought you, we had a pack of lions that were with us. Oh man. If only, <laughs> if only, uh, you can listen to us on Spotify or anchor.fm forward slash cutback podcast. This has been episode 25 of the cutback podcast. Any, uh, quarter any, century. Quarter, quarter century, century, any athletes, any big number 25 you can think Austin of. Austin Rivers, uh, Barry Bonds, oh. Barry Bonds. Oh. This is the Barry Bonds episode. We're done. Hey, this episode has been juiced. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and until next time, ladies and gentlemen and fellow degenerates, keep your head on a swivel and try not to get laid the fuck out. <laughs>